I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Smart Sex, confident conversation about sexuality for women. When we launched Smart Sex in the summer of 2016, we thought we had a pretty good idea of who would show up for the salons and the podcast, women. And then we saw the numbers. Lots of men were listening, too. Interested to hear about how women think about sex, curious about what women want, motivated to open a conversation about sex in their own relationships. So we decided to create a smart sex salon for couples. Chris and Chanel Montana invited us to Denord Craft Spirits in Minneapolis on a chilly winter evening. They whipped up some delicious cocktails. We parked the food trucks out front. And we invited couples, straight and gay, to the conversation. Now, right away, there was a different vibe in the room. Why are we so shy about talking about pleasure and sexy underwear with our beloveds? Who better to talk about it with? Well, anyway, once we got rolling, our couples really opened up. So here's what's going to happen tonight. Uh, you're all loosened up with great cocktails, right? Okay. There, there is a method to our madness here. It is no coincidence that we're at a distillery, you know, and that we serve cocktails. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to be informed by some of the things that you said on the survey, and we're going to get some insight from our guest therapist tonight. I want this to be a free-flowing, uh, loose kind of conversation. You, I have questions. I hope you have questions. You have observations. I'll be out with the microphone. Tiffany will be out with the microphone. So wave us over, or we might just show up. So let me introduce our guests. I think of Bill Doherty as the dean of marriage therapists. Is that okay? A lot of people think of you, you say like that. Say whatever you want. Okay. It's your show. He has a, and he's been on my show at NPR. Uh, he has a PhD in family therapy. He's met and counseled couples for many years. He's a professor at the U of M. He's the author of a bunch of books, some of which are for sale out there at Subtext. He's kind and compassionate. And Bill, I'm really grateful you're here. Thank you for coming. A welcome to you. I've gotten to know Carice tonight, and it's such a pleasure. Thank you for coming. Carice Rotab-Beard is with us. She's a marriage and family therapist, and she offers education and counseling in LBGTQ relationships, in polyamory. Who knows what polyamory is? Gwen, I knew it. <laughs> um, and uh, just kind and compassionate counseling to couples that come in. Um, and so what we'll do with this is We'll turn to them for some advice we'll share among ourselves. Who's kind of nervous to be here tonight? Julie, really? Tell me why. She, she, uh, she raised her hand saying she was nervous. When she was the only one, she put I, it down again. I figured that means she wants to talk. That's good yeah. honesty. <laughs> I thought everybody was going to raise their hand. They all wanted to. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm nervous in case you were to come over and talk to me. <laughs> and here I am. What makes you a little nervous about, you know, you're here with your husband, you two have been married how long? Who else feels a little weird, a little squirmy about, now they're all, like, nobody. Like, no, no, I'm all good. This is totally, yeah. I don't believe that, you guys. Yeah, the cocktail. I'm coming right over to you, my friend. Why did you, why'd you guys come? Why'd you show up? Why'd you think this was important to be here? Well, I, I started listening to the podcast, and I thought, okay, this is something my wife's going to be interested in, and so I shared it with her, and it sparked a lot of 
good conversations between the two of us. Um, sort of, you know, each time it comes out, we're like, oh, have you listened yet? No, 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 I'm, I gotta go to the gym so I can listen. And then, um, you know, we, we would talk about it. And so when the Salon for Couples came out, we're like, yeah, we're totally there, so. I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Why do you think it's, we talk about everything? I mean, money, politics. Yes, and I know we're all, we needed a diversion after the week it's been, right? Um, but sex is something kind of, still kind of weird to talk about within couples. You have an idea about that? A country founded by Puritans? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of it. I, I say it's sort of joking, but I think that's partially true, is that it's just we're, I think our culture teaches us to a certain extent that feelings of sexuality are really only appropriate as it comes to, like, group, you know, children, and that it's just not something that's you know, it's not polite conversation topic. Bill, Carice, do you think that's true? Absolutely. Yeah, yes, and I don't think there's ever been a society in the history of the world where it was easy for men and women to talk about sex together. Really? Sure. Why? I mean, it, well, it, it requires a kind of psychological mindedness, which is only a 20th century thing. So, so yes, I agree with what you said, but Sort of, we live in the U.S., so we go back to the Puritans. But if we were in most parts of the world, and certainly before the last 150 years, people wouldn't even ask the question of talking about it. Why would you talk about it? It's it's a modern thing, is what I'm saying. It's a thoroughly modern. Is it thing. a generational thing? Because we have a lot of different ages here. We have these guys. We have these guys. We have couples that have been together for a long time. Carice, is it generational? Kind of, it, yeah, I mean it sort of generational, but also depends on how you were raised, like how often in your home were things like sex talked about, were using anatomical terms really openly and freely, you know, and that sort of sends a message like what's okay to talk about and what's not okay to talk about. So when we get people together and we say we have to talk about sex, of course you want to, of course you have questions, but nobody ever told you it was okay maybe, and so here we are saying it's okay and like people don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that people don't quite know what to do. What's the que is somebody brave enough to tell me about a question that you've ever, you kind of wondered about for a long time, but yeah, Angie, I'm looking at you. <laughs> She's like, don't come over here. Uh, you know, that you've wondered about, and maybe it's not even something really you know, super intimate or personal, but it just feels a little weird to talk about it with your partner, with your friends. Is this the kind of conversation, Bill, that you think couples should begin to have pretty early on in the relationship? I mean, within a couple of dates. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's hard. It, uh, really, the reason I started off with that big grand historical sweep yeah. is to normalize the fact that this is difficult. Right. And, and, uh, and that's, that's where we should start. And early on, people are coming together, and the sex is often something they feel sort of immediately drawn to. Right. And so it doesn't feel like you need to talk about it. But, and then we get into the habit over time. If you've had sex over and over and you've never talked about it, mm -hmm. well, what's the time you do talk about it? When something's wrong! Damn it! Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then immediately, the first discussion is in the area of conflict. Ooh, that's not a very good way to start. Carice, should couples in the early dating phases mm -hmm. 
be starting to test each other out on what you think about sex, how important it is to you, those kinds of things. Absolutely. And that starts with individually, before you're a part of a relationship, learning about yourself, learning about your sexuality. One of the things I love, Dan Savage says, is you can't expect someone just to know how your parts work. You have to figure out how your parts work. <laughs> and then you invite someone into that space with you to teach them. So I think it's something you, even people who are single can start identifying what it is that they like, how they are wired, what they're looking for. And then those early phases, yeah, they're definitely driven by hormones and sexual charge. And that's a really great time to start using your language and saying, I like this, can you do this? And asking for consent around things. It's a great time to do that. Right, so who's had that kind of conversation with their beloved, their partner? Yes, ma'am. It was pretty easy because we'd had a pretty easy relationship. We'd been having sex for quite a while and it just was kind of natural conversation that flowed from there. But you were doing it before you were talking about it. That's true. Right? Yeah. How common is that, Carice? Very common. Why? I mean, I think it's, it's, the, it's the charge, it's the energy, you know, everybody is very interested in pleasure right away. Right. And so I think, in, in, in my perspective, that's the best time to have those conversations. But I think people will say, like, we don't really need to until things shift, until things start to slow down. Then we need to, like Bill was saying, when there's a conflict, that's when we talk about it. Right. Yeah. So uh, talking about sex is an emotional risk. It's emotionally vulnerable in a way that when you just really want to get it on, that's actually less vulnerable. Now, being psychologically more naked. It seems like it would be bad. I mean, it seems yeah. like if you're moving to that kind of intimacy, that you would, you would feel comfortable enough to talk about the per No, just getting it, just doing it is a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, biology too. Right. Like our, our bodies sort of know how to do that for long, long time, long eras of time before us. So that's not something we have to necessarily negotiate. They'll know how We're to animals. We're mammals. We're uh, mammals. You know, to, to, to the cow and the bull don't discuss it beforehand. But, right. So this is our... This they is, probably do. They have signals. Their own way, yes. You good? Okay. You, you again. Uh, get off my back. All right. Uh, so so there's, this is a... You know, this we're we're driven yes. with this attraction, uh, and it's harder to be emotionally, psychologically intimate. And that's why I made the point earlier that this was never even discussed as an issue until the modern psychological era, uh -huh. where we aspire to emotional intimacy as well as physical intimacy. I mean, this is really about vulnerability mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. That that you are. You're going to have to tell somebody who you think may judge you right. for something that you like or don't like, right. which is super uncomfortable. Well, and usually I'll tell people, like, don't yuck someone else's yum. If your partner comes to you and says, I want to try this, you, you don't have to agree to it, but you don't have to make the face like, oh, my God, what? Why? You know, you don't have to say that. You can say, I'll think about it. Let's talk about it, you know. But everybody's really, really complex. Yeah. I mean, so, Bill, that vulnerability piece of this, were you raising your hand? Wonderful. That vulnerability piece of this, tell me a little bit about how to, how to talk to yourself about that, yeah, right? That, yeah, I love, so that you well, can then talk to your partner. Right, I love what Chris was saying, that sexuality starts with self. Right. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and to be able to have conversations with oneself about what feels good, what doesn't. Um, and it, just growing up, before we have sex, we're sort of comparing, we're looking, we're, you know, uh, we're seeing movies nowadays, most kids are seeing some pornography, and, and so we're, we're, um, we're getting a sense of what our needs are and our preferences are, and the self-conversation. And so the, the, the people who are more uh, secure in that way, and this is about parenting, this is about lots of things, and then it's a lot more natural to bring it up. But if you have not had the conversation with yourself, and if, of course it's scary, um, then how do you have it with somebody else? What's the conversation with yourself sound like? Um, well, it's part conversation. It could also be part self-exploration, like what makes you feel, what do you pay attention to? I tell people a lot just to kind of move about their world and figure out what catches their eye or what sort of turns them on. What do you notice? You know, I've had people say things that they didn't expect before. Somebody found out that cars were really exciting to them and they didn't realize Sexually? that before. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah, she would like see Like in car. the car or? Yeah, it was like the power what? of the car, you know, and she came in real excited to talk about cars. It was great, <laughs> you know, but it's, I think it's also getting out of your own way and not, not, not coming forward to yourself saying, here's this list of expectations of what I think should be okay and really having carte blanche and saying, anything is okay as long as it's consented to so what am i into and what do i notice about myself is there and anybody here judgments. who's had that kind of conversation with your partner really anything is okay as long as it's about consent that you felt you felt comfortable boy we are in minnesota aren't we <laughs> wow wow you know you just started off you i know that's how i am there yeah. bill to yeah. get right to it. Yeah. I'm going to come over to my friend Grace and force her to talk to me about that. What the question is again. The, the question is, have you felt, you two have, are in a long marriage. You know each other well. Have you felt comfortable enough to have that kind of conversation with each other? You don't have to give me detail, but are you there? Yes. Uh, definitely yes, uh, but it took a long time. So I'm interested in hearing that as I have young daughters who are you know, coming into their 20s, having those conversations earlier. Um, so I, I'd say over years, exploring and figuring things out and understanding each other, it, it, it took time. Right. And so you feel like for your daughters to get to that more quickly is kind of important? To recognize that maybe having those conversations is important. Mm -hmm. Bill? Yeah, and I think for, for women often it's, uh, it, given our culture, do women have the right to pleasure, mm -hmm. um, you know. The fact that we have to say that yeah. says a lot, but we yeah. do kind of have to say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, the right to romance, but to, right. best, to pure, you know, raw pleasure, mm -hmm. uh, screaming pleasure. Um, boys grow up knowing they have the right to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 girls grow up feeling like they owe the man the boys that. that kind of pleasure. But what about themselves? Right. Yeah, I think it's all about authoring your own pleasure from an early age. Like, my partner and I, we have a three-year-old, so it looks different parenting a three-year-old than it might a 20-something-year-old. But we certainly pay close attention to what we say about when he touches himself or things that the culture would give message of, don't do that, you know, that's bad, don't do that. You know, we'll say, we'll kind of guide him and say, that's maybe something to do in your room. He's going to hate if he hears this podcast when he's talking to mom. But... <laughs> But we would never pleasure shame, and we would never shame someone for experiencing that. And so it, it can start as early as 
two or three or even sooner. And, and it's a, a lifelong journey, how to author your own pleasure. I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to a Smart Sex Salon. We invited couples to sip some cocktails at Du Nord Craft Spirits, hang out with our two relationship therapists, Bill Doherty and Carice Rotash Beard, and to open up about sex in their relationship. But one of our audience members was quick to confess it's surprisingly hard to talk about pleasure with your partner. I think one reason that it's hard to talk about is... um, because you see all these movies and you read these books and it's supposed to be perfect. And if you have to talk about it, then maybe you're not in love the way, you know, yeah. the rom-coms are. Yeah, it should all be just spontaneous yeah. if you're well-matched. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Why does spontaneity end pretty quickly in a, in a committed relationship? Why does that happen? Um, my take on it, uh, I take a lot of what I bring into therapy from Esther Perel's book, Meeting in Captivity, which we have here today. So I think the way that modern long-term relationships, namely marriage, is structured is that your entire, what used to be an entire village of people is now wrapped into one person. So in one person, you've got your lover, your co-parent, your maybe dog co-parent, your you know financial planner. You've got all these things wrapped into one person. And a lot of times our lives, like they knock that sexuality partner down on the totem pole. So of course you have to feed your child, you have to pay your bills, you have to do all these things. And so that gets pushed to the bottom. And so what we talk about is how do we, how do we elevate the erotic partnership <clears throat> back up to as equally important as anything else. I mean, one of the things that Emily Nagoski told us in the first salon was that planning sex can be a pretty powerful thing for having more sex, even though it sounds like, oh my God, if we have to put it on the calendar and schedule it and just make sure we're, you know, ready for sexy time at Sunday at three o'clock, nothing sounds less romantic than that. (laughs) But she claims that works. It is romantic. Why does it work? Well, it's it's not romantic when you're in that first six months, uh, right? That this usually don't need it of of limerence, uh, where you can't keep your hands off each other. Right. But but once you habituate, and this is a universal human phenomenon, okay? That that's that's compounded with what Chris was talking about in our culture. You have to be all things to people. Mm -hmm. But there's also just being with the same person sleeping in the same bed night after night over and over and then they snore and then they get the flu you know and <laughs> right and uh, so and sexy so we, we we habituate and um and so at some point when when some couples and this happens maybe when people get a little older when they realize that their sexual frequency uh, and the power of it is less than they want can you have that conversation without anybody being ashamed, mm-hmm. anybody apologizing, anybody being wrong? Can okay? you? That's, that's the key, because then you can make adjustments. Mm-hmm. Because then you can say, you know, with our jobs and with traveling soccer with our kids, <laughs> we have a little window there, mm-hmm. okay, on this. It's so we might have, might have sex other times, but let's make sure we take advantage of that window. And then what it's like is, it's like when you, when you decide to do a vacation trip 
you start to enjoy it. The, the anticipation? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when, you, when you have this window and it's, it's you know, Saturday afternoon and, you know, um, and uh, well, you start to look forward to it. Okay, and then, and then you look each other in the eyes over breakfast and the kids around you know we're getting an audible. <laughs> we're not I saying we're cheerios. Cheerios, but it's happening later. Okay? Right. And that's sexy. Right. But when you have this complicated life, when you don't, it looks, it, it looks uh, overly constrained, but not when you have a complex. You know what's interesting about that, Bill? There is real research, right, that where you said about the planning of vacation. The most enjoyable part of the vacation is the anticipation the days before you go. More then, so than when you're actually there. And then the second most enjoyable is a couple months later when you've recovered. Right. <laughs> That's right. There was a question right up here. It was actually a comment about the conversation earlier about conversations with your family. And I will never forget being in college and finally having a conversation with my mother actually about oral sex. And it happened because we were kayaking, so we weren't like in a face-to-face, -face sitting boat. down, we were <laughs> in separate boats, paddling along in a natural environment we both enjoy. And she ended up telling me the story that she didn't learn about oral sex until she married my father, which most people would be like, I don't want to know that. But it was very empowering to hear my mother, who's 68, 69 yeah. now, um, admit this and yeah, start to be able to have a conversation about how she wanted me to have that opportunity a lot sooner than her. Mm -hmm. um, but then to the other piece, I so hear is a question. before we lose that, that, oh, was a, okay. that was a gift. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was a gift. It was a gift. Yes. Yeah. It was a gift that her mother would be yes, able to talk about that. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, she, it was, and it took some hard experiences between their marriage for her to get to a point that yeah. I had witnessed yeah. that she felt like she needed to come back around and start to be more open. Yeah. Um, but a question that I'm gonna offer that I bet a lot of women and perhaps men feel is this sense of, we know that we're not perfect, but the sense of when you're providing pleasure for the, uh, your partner, are you doing it right? Are they getting something mm -hmm. from it? There's a lot of fear around, you know, what works for one may not work for another, and yeah. yep. this idea of being right or doing yeah. it right. Yep. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think moving. Uh, I think those conversations are really scary to think: Is this person liking what I'm doing? Is it enough? You know. And I think taking those difficult conversations and shifting them slightly into erotic play, like, do you like this? Does this feel good? You know, it can be the same words in a different context where we enter into the sexual space saying, we are going to give each other permission to direct, to traffic control what's going on. And we normalize that right away. And there's, I, I've seen couples that have been doing the same things over and over and they'll give themselves that permission. Like today when we do this, I'm gonna start directing a little bit more, is that okay with you? And then they'll discover erogenous zones or different things that they enjoy that they had no idea that they enjoyed. But it's absolutely setting aside that idea that we are not going to be 100% for anyone. We're not going to completely fulfill every one of our partner's desires. But when we normalize that, we can also say, but here's the things that we can do. And let's direct a path to do those things versus feeling like you have to be perfect at everything. I mean, the traffic direction sounds like it could easily go awry. It could. Right? One, one comment of not like that, yes. and, you know, yeah, it maybe can be the whole up. mood ends. 
it can be wrapped up in a lot of shame. And that's usually where I, we go back to each of us are completely unique and complex. And we are wired in ways that we ourselves probably don't even understand. So you can't expect someone to know your blueprint exactly, even someone you've been with for a really long time. And by the way, you know you like one thing in your 20s, you might not like the same thing in your 30s or 40s. It changes all the time. So we have to take, we have to watch that shame dynamic and be, be really careful not to let that take over the fun and the exploration and the lightness that it can be to discover each other. If you've been in a long, how, would somebody, would a couple people tell me how long you've been together with your partner? Just back in the back where nobody's speaking. Yeah. 21? 29. 29 years. We've been married for 26 years. Wow. And together for 32. Okay, so yeah. have you guys been able to say to one another, so this is what's changing about me. This is what, you know, this kind of rolling conversation that these guys are talking about. Well, it was actually my husband who started listening to your podcast. And really? <laughs> Truly. Yeah. You've got to listen to this, Karen. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And You were and, nervous. Uh, no, not nervous, because we really do have an open, um, evolving relationship I mean, this many years together, and I, I still really dig him. <laughs> um, but as your body changes, yeah. hormones, and as um, we just have one daughter who's a junior in college, so we're empty nesters, and you just continue to evolve. I don't want to be the same person I was when we met freshman year in college. I mean, we'd have sex sometimes a couple, two, three times a day. We'd look at each other, and I, I remember saying... I can't imagine making love to you every day. <laughs> well, guess what? There's a reality <laughs> check to that. Right. Um, but so, yeah, we're kind of just reinventing ourselves, or just I am, and and, and he's a little frustrated with me. Uh, <laughs> Do tell it, why. But it's me that bought this ticket, these yeah. tickets for tonight. He was out of town, and I saw this, and I thought, wait, this is it. Miller. And so I texted him, I'm going to buy these tickets. Yeah. Yeah. So can, I'd love to hear from your husband if he would. He's like, no, I listen to the podcast, but I have nothing to say. Um, what, what about this idea of being able to be open enough between the two of you to acknowledge how things are changing between you? Uh, I'm a, a talker and we, we talk quite a bit. Do you? about our needs, uh, what I want, what she wants or sometimes doesn't want. Uh, I'm more of a wanter and she's more of a not wanter. So we're trying to work through that and exactly what that means and where do we meet in the middle. So it's, it's always a work in progress. I this think. is how, these two are really self-aware. I mean, how, how unusual is that together as a couple? Bill? Unusual. Is it? Yeah. Why? And it's great. Uh, well, the, the, you, you guys understand your dance. Every couple has a dance, right? The sexual relationship and other parts of the relationship. There's a dance we do. The longer we've been together, we have some dances. And to be able to name the dance, and your phrase was, you know, want or not want or some people talk about pursue or distance. Right. Um, hardly there's any hard couple on the planet who are perfectly evenly matched in terms of their desire and, 
and exactly what they want. That you know, if there is, I'd like to meet them. Um, so, so there's a, there's dances that we do, and to be able to non, without blame, without shame, right. to say so. This is ours, and and by the way, they can reverse over time. Um, you know, so that's beautiful to be able to do that. Carice, what did you hear in that? I love your honesty, and I love the acknowledgement of the different life phases that we find ourselves in, and that's definitely a time where I see, even if people are sort of on this parallel desire plane, things like buying a house, having a child, some major life change, usually kind of skews people in different ways. If you are the person that birthed the child, you're going to have a different experience with your body after that happens. And so it's going to be kind of a dance, like Bill said, and how do we get back? How do we find, not what, not go back to what was, because then we would have to reverse all the life decisions and pretend like those things never happened. That's not realistic. But what's going to be our new dance and how are we going to make this one work? And I love that you guys are in that and showing up for the job and saying this is important to us. We know that we're changing and how do we roll with it instead of letting it kind of cover us. Okay, now someone who has only been married a few years or only been together in a relationship for a few... You two. I'm looking at you two, right? We've been together for, this is our fourth year together. And how open can you be about how things are changing, how different wants and needs yeah. are happening? I, I think we're pretty open, but I think, Bill, what you talk about really resonates with me with the dance. You know, it's kind of, we've gone through different phases in our lives. I finished up my graduate school program when Lena wasn't working and now Lena's in her graduate school program when I'm working so we've kind of been shifting and figuring those two things out um, in addition we started living together over that period of time but we also live with Lena's mom so wow <laughs> there's an erotic thing for you. <laughs> this is the life of millennials so. <laughs> So prior to that, I had my own apartment that Lena could come to and we had our own space and now we are figuring out how to engage in that, you know, sexual part of our relationship. And my mom's really open to it. She regularly asks me, like, are you and Matt having enough sex? <laughs> your mother asked Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and your answer to that is? I'm like, oh my god, mom. All <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I think there's a lot changing with us. I mean, we're becoming closer and as friends and intertwining our life. And it's interesting how the deeper the friendship, um, the less mm -hmm. hot. You know, but it is, we're still hot. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, an, and, and stress as well is yeah. really difficult on maintaining sex. Yeah. I, I love to have these guys talk about friendship. Yeah, though, I was just going to say, like, here. what you said, Lena, is that your name? What you said there is what I hear almost on a daily basis is, I love this person, we're best friends, you know, we share our life together, don't really want to have sex with them as much as I used to, right? That's my bread and butter, that's why people come in. And I think, like you did, like we kind of protect our partners and like I don't want to hurt your feelings about that. I think it's a biological thing that happens when we start to turn our partners into family members, 
there's a separation, Esther Perel talks about this too, a separation in our brains from sexual drive versus that nurturing, caregiving, family drive. And so when, when our partners start to enter into that quadrant of the nurturing, caregiving, it kind of shuts down the sex, which is good when we're doing things like parenting or caring for our parents in some way or something like that. We don't want to be thinking about sex all the time. But it also complicates things when someone turns into our best friend, which is a great thing. I've heard so many wedding vows, like, I'm marrying my best friend, right? That's great. We also have to look at, and how do we again still elevate, There's, this is your, also your erotic partner. Can you be best friends and still maintain the kind of mystery to have that erotic partnership? Bill, how do you re-energize that? Yeah, so that? Are you, by being intentional. Mm -hmm. There's no formula. But I like to think of this, it's sort of like the, the sexual part of your relationship is also part of the teamwork, right? It's part of you live together, you raise, it's, it's, it's a we, not just an I, and, and inevitably it gets challenged. And so how can we do something about that? So I'll, I'll give a personal example. At some point, my wife and I um, decided that um, we would uh, 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 light some candles, you know, light a little candle. I thought this was going to be really out there, yeah, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be light some candles. We don't know what happened. We, we were going to burn down the house. We were in our 50s now. Okay. <laughs> um, but... Um, there's something... And drip you know, hot and body, wax on body, each other? No, okay. Bodies, bodies getting a little older really look even better under candlelight. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and so, but that was just a, a little thing uh, that, uh, that symbolized we want to maintain this. Mm -hmm. We want to not just uh, read in bed until somebody falls asleep or the death the bed death of having the TV on. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and the other thing, we, we always, we've always gone to bed together. Uh -huh. uh, this is becoming a vanishing thing, um, you know, with people. So we intentionally always have gone to bed together, almost always. And that puts you into a situation where you could be sexual. I'm not prescribing that for everybody, I understand. Uh, that not everybody can do that, but there's something about being mindful and intentional, whatever that is for you. I'll just describe some things for us mm -hmm. to say preserving and keeping our sexual relationship in the face of forces of entropy, okay? The dilution, um, that, that's the normal path. So I, I talk about you get together, you form a relationship that lasts over time. It's like uh, getting into a canoe in the Mississippi River, and if you don't paddle, you go south and your sexual relationship will go south. And the paddling means that you are mindful and intentional. It's something that is important to us. And also, while I'm being more personal, you know, I'm, I'm uh, 71 years old now. We've been married 45 years. Uh, and, uh, and I don't like the image of working at it. I like the image of cultivating one's sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay, being mindful about it, cultivating it. It's an organic thing. Mm -hmm. um, so the intentionality of this is part of what was motivating the kind of questions that we have on the survey. And the first question is about sexy underwear. Trust me, 
you don't want to miss the second part of this salon, where we delve into the intricacies of sexy underwear and so much more. Smart Sex was created by Teresa McFarland and me, Carrie Miller. Our salon was recorded at Dunord Craft Spirits in Minneapolis. Thank you to Chris and Chanel Montana for hosting us. Lisa Ehrman engineered the event for us, and Alex De Palma produced the podcast. Big thanks to our therapist, Bill Doherty from the University of Minnesota, and Carice Rotash-Beard. There's lots of stuff to read and do at smartsex.org, including upcoming Smart Sex Salons. Thank you.